Good morning, and welcome once again to Mind Matters, our series of abridged talks and lectures. I'm Carol Meng. Today we'll talk about Manchuria during the early 20th century, with the help of a wealth of primary sources, family letters, and visual depiction of village scenes. Professor Jean Lin from the University of Hong Kong examines Chinese people at social and cultural margins during this period. She was invited by the University of Hong Kong to give a talk entitled "At the Frontier of God's Empire: A Missionary Odyssey in Modern China." I feel so honored to give the talk to introduce my book here in Mayhaw because this project started in Hong Kong, and the most research of this book of this project. Uh, are done in Hong Kong, so this is what I've done basically in the past decade. So it's honor to be here in Mayhaw, basically, and report what I've done and to my colleagues and students. So today I'm going to talk about introduce you my new book, um, just came out from Oxford University Press. As you can tell from the book title, "I the Frontier of God's Empire: A Missionary Odyssey in Modern Modern China." So this is basically stories of a missionary who worked in Manchuria for half a century from 1899 until 1948. So what I'm going to talk is not just about the contents, but more stories behind the scene. How I discovered archives,、uh, how I deciphered some of the documents, and how I did my field work, and how I organized the missionaries. Quite fragmented. Daily writings and reflected on what I have learned from the working with all these everyday writings. So this is where the story began here.、Uh, this I took the three photos when I during my first day in Paris, working in the archives of the Foreign Missions Society、uh, back till 2004. That's 20 years ago. 2004,、uh, when you worked there. You can still touch the papers, smell the old papers. I think that's fortunate, but fortunate or unfortunate, right now all the documents are digitalized. So this is where the story began. As you can imagine, for most times, I just worked with these old papers. It's quite boring. So when I discovered some Chinese documents, just among these French old papers, you can imagine how excited I was at that time. I I call them two letters, so they are all together three letters like that. This is the first one, the second one, very similar format, and the third one. For the third one, you can see、uh, the there is a date, uh, 1871. Let's take a close look. Who wrote the letters? So the three letters written by three women from two family. As you can see, the first one is from the Du Xiao Er Niu, the second one is from Du Xiao Da Zi, and the last one from Du Xiao Shi Yi. For our Chinese, we know、uh, these are not formal Chinese names. Er Niu, the second daughter of the Du family, Xiao Da Zi,、uh, in Manchuria. Anyone from Dongbei here? So usually we use like Xiao Da Zi means the youngest of the family, like we call Lao Yi. That means the youngest on auntie in the family. And Du Xiao Shi Yi. This is also a very Manchurian and Dongbei practice. You name your children by number. So the three girls named very informally 
but they all have baptized the names. They are Golette, Shenyu, God's little daughter, literally translated. The Du Xiao Er Niu is Golette. Du Xiao Da Zi is Motherland. And uh, Du Xiao Shi Yi is Ma Yi. And all these letters are written to Father Lin, Lin Shen Fu. But at this point, I don't know who is Lin Shen Fu, who are the two daughters. And let's take a close look about the letters. What's the letters about? So here the, okay, you can see uh, the line here. It costs, uh, the first line of one of the letters. It says, 神女不知恩父的病好没好. The God literally translated as God's daughter. I don't know if, uh, kind father, you are recovered from illness a lot. If you are recovered, please come back. I beg you to come back. So very emotional, very private. And here, uh, this is another line from another letter. We can finally find some information here. Uh, I marked it yellow. It says, uh, until now, Santaizi seems like a place name, uh, a village name. Right now, Santaizi has no missionary priest in residence. And Bao Shenfu Li Lu Dao, Father Bao established a convent. Lu Dao here means convent. So this is a new form of religious uh, establishment introduced to, to China in the 19th century. And apparently, uh, these two women, they didn't want to enter the convent. So she wrote, God's daughter, that's, that means I, I don't want to join them because I don't want to follow their rules. So th this is also another story. So these girls apparently they don't want to become nuns, as we understand, uh, living a communal life with other uh, Catholic women in a convent. They stayed at home, but they take vows of chastity and they worked for the church. So they are they are called actually the Chinese Catholic virgins, shoujenyu. Uh, that's a very indigenized uh, Chinese uh, practice of Catholic women. And however, uh, I got. Fascinated with this place. Where is Santaiz and who is Father Lin? And it will be very hard to find Santaiz in today's China if you check the today's Chinese maps. But however, Santaiz is not, it's not difficult to find Santaiz in the church records. Here is a map uh, produced by the MEP, the Foreign Missions of Paris, uh, in 1889. It's called the Map of Catholic Manchuria. And it's easy to find Santaizi. And Mukden is today's Shenyang, the provincial capital city of Liaoning province. And Santaizi seems to be a very significant, important Catholic village community back to the late 19th century. It's a small village, uh, southern of Mukden, Shenyang. Today it's about 74 kilometers from Shenyang. And, um, I first visited Santaiz in 2007, but, uh, no one, my friends in Shenyang, no one knows about, never heard of this small village, but back to the late 19th century, this is an important Catholic village community in Manchuria. And also from other documents, we can know the father Lin is actually, his Chinese name is Lin Maoli. We can find his life stories here. A little bit of the background. These missionaries, they came to China after the two ocean opium wars. So this is a map of 1858 showing you the different Catholic religious orders groups. They, they work in China. 
during that time, the Vatican, they reorganized the Far East, the different regions, and uh, they entrusted different regions of China to different Catholic uh, organizations. And we can see that Manchuria, Tibet, uh, Yunnan, Gui, uh, Guizhou, or Guangxi, Guangdong. So these border and frontier regions were all entrusted to MEP. So MEP played an important role in these frontier areas. And also we have French Lazarists, French Jesuits. So French people, French Catholic missionaries have played a very important role in late 19th century in China. And uh, the Roman Catholic Manchuria mission was officially established in 1848. After half a century, five decades, uh, they developed over 400 Catholic communities. So this map was produced in 1889. If we take a close look, you can see there are many uh, different uh, Catholic villages, Catholic communities. They have different legends showing that uh, here we have Chinese Catholic, there we have uh, French Catholic missionaries in residence. So it's quite impressive. And Sandheights, of course, is one of the biggest Catholic communities in Manchuria during that time. And here are three photos um, of Sandheights Church. The first one shows the church of Sandheights before the Boxer Uprising. Uh, that's about 1900 before the Boxers attack on the village church. So the original, the very first village church was erected by MEP missionary back to 1860s. And unfortunately, during the Boxer Uprising, this church was destroyed. And uh, with the Boxer indemnity and other donations from France, domestic donations, uh, they rebuilt the village church. This grand style church can host as many as 2,600 people doing mass together in this church. But again, unfortunately, during the Chinese Cultural Revolution in 1960s and 70s, uh, this church was destroyed again, demolished during the Cultural Revolution. And in the early 1982, uh, this is a current village church built in plan style. Uh, and still there. I took the picture about 10 years ago during my field work there. And also during my first stage of research in Paris, I discovered a set of documents. It's very interesting. It's called, uh, in English documents of speaking Chinese souvenir from Sandheits. And you can see inside the book, it seems like some dialogues itemized. But what, what does it? I can't read it at that time. So I left all the documents aside and I finished my dissertation and I published my first book. This book was um, published in 2015. And during that time, I already worked in Hong Kong in, in the institute in Meiho. So it's more convenient for me to conduct field work back to the Sandheights village. So I wrote before publication of this book, I wrote a very brief uh, epilogue. Uh, meeting the two descendants because I managed to find the descendants of the two of the two women who wrote the letters I showed you at the beginning. So I interviewed them. I made friends of them. I feel that there are a lot more stories waiting for me to explore. So that's the first stage of my research. And now I'm going to show you some of the, uh, my fieldwork photos. I took this photo about 10 years ago in a 
March day, early spring day, as you can see. For those of you who are familiar with Dongbei, Manchuria, this is a very, very typical scene for a village in Dongbei. And uh, all the people on the picture except me are from Du family, a surnamed Du. And uh, this young man is Du Huaisheng. He is the first Du family descendant I knew of. And he introduced me to all the two different families. And here you can see the village church and you can see a stone steel standing here. So this, uh, stone steel was erected after the boxer uprising. The boxers attacked the village church for and besieged it for 21 days. So we can see some inscriptions there and a list of the names of Catholic villagers who died during the boxers attack. And these are the uh, two uh, within one family of the dual descendants. And uh, again, all the dual people. And this old lady is Du uh, Fujun. I interviewed her. This photo was taken in 2012 in Taichung. So she was one of the uh, dual daughters, God's little daughters, Shen Nü, uh, from the dual women who wrote the letters at the beginning. And at the age of 14, he, his, her parents arranged a marriage for her, but she refused. So the only solution is to join the convent. So she left the village and went to Shenyang, uh, in early 1948. And we know that at that year, so the Communist Party, they took over Manchuria and liberated Manchuria. So uh, later on, the 14 year old, uh, Du Fengjun left. Shenyang with her French priest and a group of young girls, they moved, left Shenyang, they fled to Qingdao, then Shanghai and left Shanghai to Taiwan. So finally she settled in Taichung. So I interviewed her in Taichung 10 years ago. And unfortunately she just passed away last year. And this, uh, woman is Du Fengjun, the youngest daughter of, of Du Fengzhi. So, uh, it's very interesting to interview the two descendants in different places in Shanghai, in Shenyang, and in Taichung. So they told me a lot of uh, stories about what's going on about Chinese Catholics. You're listening to Mind Matters where we just had Professor Jean Lin from the University of Hong Kong telling us about her findings on Manchuria during the early 20th century. Next, she will continue to discuss her insights in modern China such as transformation of local society, mass migration and religion. Perhaps I'm ready to go back to these mysterious documents speaking Chinese, souvenir from Santais. What does this uh dialogues or these itemized conversations. It thanks for the uh, grants from the Institute and also GRF. I hired several very good research assistants or students. We worked together and it turns out the 13 notebooks, the handwritten conversations, they contained nearly 10,000 entries recording Santai's villagers everyday conversation. So we translate, transcribed, deciphered all these conversations. And this is our, some of the pictures of our work. 
And more surprisingly is that most of the topics of these conversations are very private and intimate, including the topics about pregnancy, childbirth, uh, midwife and delivery, husband leaving home and making money elsewhere, negotiating nominal relatives. So all kinds of these everyday dialogues. And here are two examples I want to show you. So this is the first uh, conversation. As you can see, uh, uni uh, uniform, the wife, a wife, a woman said, one of our servant girls is worthless. If she does not get beaten, she becomes disobedient. The other woman replies that if she made a mistake, do not beat her all the time. Uh, punish her by kneeling down in front of the image of the Holy Mother. So that means it uh, shows that they have different uh, religious background. There, this is another example, a very interesting dialogue between a Catholic and a Buddhist. A pagan woman, a Buddhist woman, and talk to Li Yongcheng. Li Yongcheng appeared quite few times, many times in uh, in the letters I worked on. I will introduce later. So when we talk about the uh, introduction of Christianity to Chinese local society, we will often talk about the conflict between Christianity and popular Chinese religions. And this conversation gives a very dramatic uh, conflict or, or negotiation between a between Buddhism and Catholicism. So apparently they didn't care about what's actually going on because according to the Manchuria mission regulations, it's strictly forbidden that Catholics, Chinese Catholics to Zhenganqin make nominal relatives with Buddhists. And that's very strictly regulated. But in practice, and even for like Li Yongcheng, who is a very faithful Catholic in the village, very prominent Chinese Catholic, uh, assistant to the missionary, but however, it doesn't matter. They can negotiate Gansing, uh, in practice. So now the question is, because all the topics, the contents are so intimate, private, personal. So what, what's the use of that for a missionary? And how could a missionary, a male, a foreigner could possibly assess all this, hear about, record all these conversations. And going back to the documents, this is the original cover of the uh, notebooks. And this is a cover attached to it by perhaps by a church archivist. And here we have a name, uh, Edmund Bahu. So I, I did a research about this missionary and I got very um, surprised that he never worked in Santai's village. So without very close relationship with the Santai's villagers, it was impossible for him to collect all these intimate conversations. So is there anyone else? And luckily I found a, news, a very brief news report of a massacre, of a murder of a missionary named Alfred Mahigubhia. He was murdered on June 18th, 1948. So this is a very short, brief report about his death. And the last line of the report says the Edmund Bahu, actually, this missionary went to after Gubhiev was killed. So he went to collect all his left belongings. So perhaps that's the reason um, the church archivist mistakenly attributed all those notebooks to Edmund Bahu. So I began my research to Father Gubhiev, and this is uh, what I found out. His Chinese name is Gaudu, High Virtue, Father High Virtue Gaudu, and he is from um, Shekbu, the department of Manche in northwestern part of France, and he was born into a very typical 
provincial French Catholic family. This is a photo, the only photo of young Gouvier a, a few days before he left for Manchuria. This photo was taken uh, with his youngest brother, Henry, in Paris. And this is Gouvier's birth certificate. He is one of the nine children of this provincial Catholic family. And to my surprise, the MEP still own host house nearly 800 unpublished family letters written by Gouvier written between 1893 and 1940, of which 610 letters were written from Manchuria, sent back to Paris, sent back to France, especially mostly to his parents, and including 233 from Santai's village, where Gokhiev lived for 27 years from 1900 to 1927. And also during the letter, in the letters, it includes over 100 illustrations depicting the daily life of the Chinese villagers, kids, local houses, objects, churches, rituals, and uh, the village scenes during the social chaos. And also in the letters, Gubhye talked a lot about he wanted to write a textbook for Chinese, spoken Chinese, a language of spoken Chinese. So the, 13 foreign Chinese study notes that record as introduced altogether 9,921 entries of Chinese Catholic everyday conversations word by word in the French romanization of a local dialect. That's why at the first sight, it's just mysterious to me because not, it's not a French, it's not a standard pinyin, it's a French romanization of a local dialect. So here are some of the illustrations from his letters. This is this illustration is showing us the Santai's church, Santai's village in Gupyak's letters in 1902. Uh, we can, you can see that on his first day arrival in China in his letter, he drew this chill flag and also some natural scene from Yangguan. That's the first place he visited. He arrived in Manchuria and also he loves children. He depicted a lot of children in his letters, uh, introducing, for example, the Du Dou. That's very typical Dongbei, Northeastern clothing for children. And also the village kids bringing him two chickens for dinner and more children at the courtyard of his uh, residence in the village. And also a little girl who just lost his, her father sitting on the Kang, that's a Dongbei style, and expressing her um, willingness to go to visiting friends one day. So all these very, very vivid scenes, everyday life scenes um, during the chaotic time in Manchuria. Also, we can see a lot of Chinese Catholics, uh, an old Manchu patriarch, that's a household head of a big Catholic family. This is a hunchback a gardener and a light watch uh, from Shandong. So for all of these Chinese Catholics, Gugyev uh, talked about their life stories, shared a lot of details. Also, he also uh, mentioned a number of fellow missionaries in China. Most of these modern missionaries, we could not find much about their lives, um, their stories, because even in church records, most of them just have 100 word introduction biography introducing their life. But actually, perhaps all of them have vivid stories, have very colorful stories, interactions with Chinese people. So fascinating documents, church records, personal archives, 
But how can you organize all these fragmented everyday writings? The background picture image is a screen and shot of an Excel file. I worked with my students together, researchers sitting together. So what we, we listed all the contents, the basic information of the nearly 900 family letters. And I organized all these fragmented everyday life writings into some uh, themes, topics. Uh, I entitled uh, the introduction chapter as Missionary and Empire, a grassroots perspective. So Gup Yef came to China in 1899 after the two opium wars. They're very different from the early Catholic missionaries to China, like the well-known Matteo Ricci. So these modern missionaries, they came to China as in our official or narrative, they are privileged. They are privileged and they are protected by a series of what we call the unequal treaties signed between the Western powers and the Qing government. So they are privileged. And however, on the other hand, if we check the grassroots account, most of them are portrayed as victims. There are a lot of stories calling them as uh, foreign tickets, yang piao because there are a lot of kidnapping stories about this. The local bandits, the local people, they kidnapped missionaries and asked for money from the local church. So their images are very controversial. On the one hand, they are agents of Western imperialism in our official discourse. On the other hand, they are victims. They are foreign tickets, yang piao, in these uh, grassroots accounts. So for our understanding of modern missionaries, usually we the official discourse we use the is the cultural imperialism as a framework to interpret these modern missionaries. However, if we shift our gaze from the missionaries as agents of a hegemonic Western culture to the actual process of intercultural communication, we can see the dynamics of Chinese communities as the emergence of a modern China that was founded in the multi-layered quotidian practices of grassroots societies. And the modern missionaries were one key cross-cultural players in a time of transformation of local Chinese society. And these missionaries were an instrumental group and they represent an extensive and essential aspect of Western engagement with Chinese society as they personalized the imperial expansion as the enduring of transformation of the local society. Also from the missionary record, uh, this is as early as uh, 1854, and a missionary from the MEP visited the West, today's West Liaoling province, and discovered uh, 13 Catholic communities here. All of them are actually uh, immigrant settlements. So in one chapter, it talks about mice migration and Christianity, and for our colleagues who work on Manchuria history. So migration, especially we know the Chuang Guangdong, uh, and basically the Manchuria is an immigrant society. But uh, when I dig into the church records, it's very interesting to see that the Catholics, the most of the Catholics in today's Dongbei, Manchuria, they are Catholic immigrants from Shandong and Hebei provinces. So the domestic mass migration to Manchuria since the 19th century reshaped the Qing frontier in this region. Although the Qing government 
they never officially recorded the religious background of these migration or migrant immigrants. But however, the mass migration played a significant role to uh, shape the religious landscape of Manchuria, and they laid a foundation for the church to grow. So when the uh, MEP missionaries came to Manchuria in the early 19th century, uh, they found that this area, they found they already have a lot of Catholic immigrant settlements. So they laid the foundation for the church to grow. As I mentioned, at the end of 19th century, the church MEP already established over 400 uh, Catholic villages, Catholic uh, communities in this region. And the religion played a very critical role in forming and organizing communities. That was Professor Jin Lin from the University of Hong Kong. I'm Carol Meng, and I invite you to join me next Sunday morning on Mind Matters. Thank you.